Welcome back to another Impact Tonight in Impact of Education Leadership. This is episode 162. I'm your host, ID34, Isaiah Jordan III. Tonight's panelists are Daniel Blanchard, Buddy Thornton, Puzzle Change Agent Pro, Boom Boom, Thanks. Randy Blake, and Dr. James Turgonet. Please, Buddy Thornton, please say hello to the people. Good evening. It's a thrill to be here, and this is quite a lineup. I cannot wait to see where we all go. And Dr. James Turgonet, please say hello to the people. Hello, how you doing? I hope you hear me very clear. I'm excited to be on the Dynamic Broadcast tonight. And Daniel Blanchard, please say hello to the people. Hey, people, how you doing tonight? I'm looking forward to spending an action-packed evening with you. Absolutely. And Randy Blake, boom, boom. Say hello to the people, sir. What's up, everyone? It's good to be here. I'm excited for tonight's episode. Absolutely. Now, let me tell you why y'all should listen to tonight. Not only because the lineup is legendary, but you need to listen to the night so that you can put together your menu, so you can put together your story and you can share your story to the world on stages. Uh, the topic for the night is inspiring others with your personal stories. Before we get started tonight, let me pull first from Dr. James Turgnet. Sir, when you got the topic for the night, what yeah. was the first thought that came to mind, sir? Well, actually, I thought it was a very brilliant topic, and I really uh, thank thank you and thank God for being an opportunity to be with such prestigious gentlemen, and uh, it was a great uh, show tonight. Well, thank you for that, sir. And Daniel Blanchard, what was the first thought that came to your mind when you got the topic for the night? I say the first thing that I uh, I think about when I think about the topic of the night is I think every one of us has some kind of inspiring story in us that can inspire others. Every one of us has like an inspirational leadership uh, beast inside of us. So I'm really looking forward tonight to listen to the fine gentlemen that are on this call and uh, you know picking their minds and taking notes. All right, and Randy Blake, boom boom. What was the first thought that came to your mind when you got the topic for the night? Oh yeah, uh, this man is in, in, inspiring others. Um, I think that's the key word, others. And I know somebody on this call is going to get inspired, and I'm looking forward to digging in deep. And like the gentleman before me, I'm here to take notes, but I'm also ready to uh, pack a punch as well. We know, and I'm trying. I got my, I got my Dukes up, sir, and that's probably not going to help. Because you're a world time champion five times. I don't have a chance. But he thought the process changed as your pro, sir. What's your thoughts when you got the topic for the night? Well, the first thing I looked at was the inspiration side. And then I looked at the questions that are being asked about bullying and understanding that sometimes inspiring the right people means more than trying just to inspire people. And uh, when you uh, are looking at trying to inspire bullies to change their life, change the direction of their life, uh, it could not happen any better than with this lineup of people who are on here tonight. I know a whole lot about Randy's background, and uh, I haven't had a chance to really dig into the other two gentlemen, but I do know that there is a lot of here that can deal with inspiring bullies how to not be bullies. And I think we need to go right on down that road. Woo-wee. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. This topic really did a number on me because 
first thing I did was when I got the topic, when I got the inspiration for the topic, I was saying to myself, I'm going to have to tell the naked truth, which means I'm going to have to expose myself. And those panelists that would join will have to do the same thing. For a topic like this, you have to be strong. You have to have the inner strength. You got to have the inner perseverance, fortitude, to tell the ugly truth. Have you ever told your story? Telling your account requires you to discover your true self. And for many, it can be very challenging. It's not easy. But it's also fun once you get started. <laughs> Tonight we're going to have fun. You're going to have fun while you're listening to this. This podcast will discuss the basics of revealing your inner truth through testimony. We're going to say it in different words, in different ways, in different sequences that may even produce a plot, may even produce characters, may even draw a setting, a background, a tapestry. But in it, we're going to provide you with tips. We're going to provide you with strategy. Yeah, that's right. Say strategy. For making your story come alive. For making your story something to pass down from generation to generation. Because we're going to help you understand the underlying factors behind behaviors. Those behaviors that trigger mindsets and presets and concepts. But we're going to show you how to get to that self-discovery stage so that you can share your personal story. First, I want to go to, I want to go to Dr. James T. Turkneck. Listen. Yes. What have you been up to, sir, before we get started? What you been up to? Talk about it. Yes. I've been uh, tremendously blessed. And, um, you know, I went through, even the last year, I like to continue to going through things. Last year, I ran from an office, and uh, after that, I was up talking to the homeless and uh, under a tent. And somebody actually pushed me. I, it might have been an accident. I'm not really sure. But uh, anyway, I was on top of concrete. I wanted to break in my elbow. And in the midst of doing that, some great things happened out of negative. Uh, and I had a, a schedule of so many things I've supposed to been doing, I itinerary. But I had to change because, as one of my good friends said, hey, he's a pastor from the Potter's house, he says, hey, man, you, uh, you got to slow down. <laughs> You're doing too many meetings. You got to let your arm rest. And he was right. So I, I talked to God and prayed about it. And, you know, then I finally had a chance to start writing. I've written books before, in-house books, but I really never published one. So I started writing a book on leadership about coaching. After 10 weeks, I didn't finish that on leadership. So I began to pray about it. And it, the thought came to me, Ordinary Day is a sermon that I did. I'm also a preacher. And so I wanted to write the book, Ordinary Day. It's about David and Bathsheba, but I tell it in the style. I found out things about David being like the black sheep of the family, which is kind of my story also. So we just released it. And um, I'm excited that it's going places. And uh, tonight is our, November 1st is our actual uh, international launch of Ordinary Day. Today, um, Ordinary Day, and uh, it's on Walmart's um uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and a whole lot of different uh, venues, and so I'm just excited. That's what I've been doing, and I've been helping people and reaching people at whatever levels that have been given to me. 
That sounds so exciting. Thank you for sharing it with us. One of the biggest challenges in pursuing self-discovery is being truthful. Being truthful first to ourselves, even if it includes opening up our wounds, opening up our soul, opening up our hearts, opening up the past, opening up our past, our shortcomings, and our fears about the future. But recovering and recovery requires that emotional hurt to be truly processed. It's all about hunting for the good stuff. Not everyone who endures a traumatic experience is scarred by it. The human psyche has a tremendous capacity for recovering and growth. Randy Blake. Boom, boom. That name costs you. You did not wake up on the right side of the bed. <laughs> uh, it was not... Um, Something that someone nicknamed you and you went on with that. This was a name that you got from the traumatic experiences that you went through because you're not still in it. Share with us. We want to hear from you. Why, why did it cost you so much? to be a five-time world champion? What did it cost you? How did you survive? How did you persevere? How did you find who you were? We want to walk with you. We want you to take us on a journey and let us know how did you become the person you are today? Ooh, that's so deep. Yeah, so it, it all started with, you know, a six-year-old boy just getting bullied. Um, I think uh, back in my day, you know, I'm 35 years old, so back in my time, you know, it was more physical. It wasn't necessarily about TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and viral uh, posts about somebody doing something. So mine was more physical. Uh Every single day, this young gentleman would put me in a headlock and spit in my hair, essentially. Um, it took probably about maybe a week or so. My aunt picked me up one day from school, and I get into the car, and she looks back and asks how my day was, but she said, oh, boy, what is that in your hair? And I didn't really know what it was. She said, no, like, seriously. So she had me bend my head down, and it was this big glob of spit. So at that time, uh, I didn't really know the severity of it. I just knew I was going to put him in the headlock, and I just let this gentleman have his way with me because that's what kind of person I am or, or I was, and I kind of still am, like, you know, as far as, being um, non-aggressive until, right? And so martial arts was kind of what was instilled in me through bullying. So after I was being bullied, my mom found out she enrolled me in martial arts 
and it was kind of a cool uh, parallel with that because I was watching a movie called Bloodsport by John Claude Van Damme, and I was inspired by this guy. Uh, all the kicks and all the punches I seen this man do, I was doing the same thing in the living room, and next thing I know, for Christmas, I get a punching bag. I get one of the old school, hard canvas, Everlast bags. So if you guys know what kind of bags those are, I mean, you can't punch this bag bare knuckles because it'll rip the skin off your knuckles. So I would beat this bag religiously and, you know, I kind of ran down uh, the journey of, I'm just going to live this martial arts path. But I got so inspired by these instructors that I thought that I was John Claude Van Damme. And maybe three or four lessons in, that same bully tried to put me in the headlock. And I had enough confidence to not let him do it. Now, I didn't really know what I was doing still, but I, at least I fought back in my eyes. I'm swinging like mosquitoes are in your face and the bully left, left me alone. So, jump years later, I'm in college. I actually drop out of college. I was actually trying to be like Michael Jordan. Drop out of college. And that kind of led me back to martial arts. So I enrolled into a martial arts school and in class and we're sparring, right? So sparring in martial arts, you're not sparring like Mike Tyson, like it's just semi-contact. But the instructor at that time, he said, hey man, uh, you need to be in the fighter's class. Like you got what it takes to fight. Now at that time, I'm 19 years old. Right. I'm like, ah, okay, yeah, whatever. I'm here to just be a martial artist and work on my craft. So about three or four weeks go by, and this instructor is literally hounding me every single class. He cornered me after about three or four weeks, and he says, hey, Randy, you need to be in the fighter's class because I can see it in you. You got what it takes to be a world champion. Now, keep in mind, I'm 19 years old at that time. And the crazy part about this part of the story, I didn't see that instructor soon after he said what he said. So it was like, I took up upon that and I went to class and I tried it out and I loved it because in martial arts class, you're doing semi-contact sparring. But in the fighter's class, you get to hit a little bit harder. So it was actually really cool. So that was kind of my um, story to she wrote. So pretty soon, next thing I know, I am being invited into the World Combat League. So for you guys that are listening, back in 2007, Chuck Norris had a league called the World Combat League, the WCL. So I made it to the team with two amateur fights and one professional fight. I actually was brought onto the team as an a backup, like like a backup quarterback. So if you read my book, boom, I kind of talk about that, like how Tom Brady got his start. It was almost identical. So the, the starter who was on the team, he got hurt in the first half. I go on in the second half, and I'm going back and forth with this guy, and boom, boom. That's how I got my name, my nickname, 
Chuck Norris is right there. I got knocked out of the night. He bowed to me. And in the martial arts world, when you bow to somebody, that is purely respect. I respect you. Good job. I hope to see you again. And that's what kind of uh, steamrolled me into becoming a five-time world champion. I just stuck with it all because I was inspired by one man who saw something in me that I couldn't quite see in myself. So... See, you know, that story that you told is so tailor-made to who you are, right? And when I say tailor-made, everyone has a assignment in this earth realm that's tailor-made to them. And they were designed for that. You know, everyone's story is different. Everyone, I wish they could be a Randy Blake, but they can't. That's why that makes Randy so unique. I got listeners that's listening in right now and that's going to listen in that's, they wish they wish that that could be their story because they're being bullied now they're sweating their, their palms are are wet they're shifting their weight back and forth they're crossing and crisscrossing their arms trying to get comfortable trying to think what's going to be there out they're pacing back and forth on the floor they're nervous only because they can't see what can't they see the light at the end of the tunnel Daniel Blanchard coming to you. You've been in education for years. For years. What would you say to a child being bullied or a child in a traumatic situation based on your experience as an author and as an educator? What would you say, sir? Well, thank you, Isaiah. And I've got, um, I think, maybe two different stories that kind of mend together. If uh, you have a little patience and just kind of give it a little bit of time here. I remember back uh, several years ago, uh, Isaiah, I was uh, teaching in my classroom. And after school, a uh, local TV station, like Channel 3, showed up in my classroom to interview me. They've been watching me on social media and all that stuff, the things I've been doing. And they showed up to interview me, and they did a uh, pretty cool show on uh, anti-bullying. And during the interview, uh, the uh, newscaster said, uh, so I, I want to ask you this question. What does leadership have to do with bullying? And I said, well, here's the thing. I go, if you think about it, someone who, who is a leader, someone who is working on themselves does not bully other people. Okay? Uh, the, the innocent bystanders in the crowd. You know, if there's a leader in there, that person will speak up and hopefully get other people to speak up to get the bully to realize that he's outnumbered. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of people that are not just going to sit there and just watch it or just take it or today, you know, the kids filming on their phones, whatever. These are not real leaders that are filming on the phones and laughing and getting, getting their kicks out of some other kid being bullied. But the real bullies would do the exact opposite. The real bullies would say, hey, stop that. That's not cool. 
and they would try to recruit some of the people around them to kind of stand side by side with them to uh, tell the bully that it's wrong, what they're doing. Now, the bully's hurting himself when he does this. He's usually very insecure. So learning a little bit of leadership would help him not be so insecure, feeling better about himself, and not bully others. Uh, the kid is getting bullied. You know, if he's taught leadership skills, uh, same sort of thing. You know, he would have confidence in himself to the point where he's getting bullied. He can stand his ground and just be firm. Obviously, you know, calm, cool, and collective. You know, we're not saying somebody that's trying to start a fight. But we're saying someone that stands their ground and is firm and yet can, uh, you know, say the right things to de-escalate the situation. So these are all leadership things um, that I think all adults, no matter who you are, should be teaching kids to um, quell the whole bully and that sometimes is out of control. So if you do that, you know, all of us help a kid with that, building their leadership skills, we would see less bullying. So um, now bullying kind of, goes right into the whole traumatic experience. You know, being bullied is traumatic. But sometimes, you know, as in my case, you know, maybe the bully's not in school. Maybe the bully's at home. Maybe you're living with the bully. You know, maybe the bully's, uh, you know, maybe in your neighborhood, but maybe it's worse. Maybe it's your father, like it was in my case. I, when my father was constantly abusing me and my brother at home. And, um, you know, similar to what uh, the previous speaker, uh, Randy Boom Boom Blake, just said, no, he had to get stronger and better able to defend himself. You know, me and my brother had to do the same. And, uh, you know, we lifted weights as hard as we could. Uh, you know, we wrestled as hard as we could, you know, on the teams. I eventually became a two-time state champ, two-time junior Olympian uh, wrestler uh, because I had to defend my family against, against sadly, my own father, who was, uh, you know, not, not just bullying, but, I mean, physically abusing uh, all of us. Uh, and if me and my brother felt like we had a mission, you know, we had, we were just boys, but we had to get strong and big and, and, and learn the skill of fighting as fast as we could to save our family from our father. I mean, could you imagine more pressure being put on two little boys? All right. But it didn't crush me. If we can uh, that pressure, like polished me. You know, you put the you put the pressure on a coal, and it, it eventually turns to a diamond, right? So that's where I ended up. So if a kid came to me today, you know, with myself being like a two-time state champ, two-time junior Olympian, twice the coach of the junior Olympics, I broke the Connecticut bench press record. Uh, you know, the physical feats go on and on and on. Eventually, I put it towards school. You know, I finished 14 years of college, earned seven degrees. I'm an award-winning educator, uh, award-winning speaker, award-winning author with over 30 books now. Uh, if a kid came to me now and said, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm living a life of trauma, this and that, I mean, the simple thing for me to do would be, you know what, I just wrote a book on that. It's called A Fighting Chance. It was basically my life. Because if you read that, I'm, you'll get so many of just little, like, tips and inspiration. Right? But, but uh, you know, in the meantime, like, not every kid's going to go out and read a book. So what would I tell them? I would talk to them about building himself up. I would talk to him about improving himself. I would say that, you know, the good Lord doesn't always give you the family you deserve. But if you man up and just don't quit, don't give up on yourself. Don't turn to a life of like violence and drugs and street fighting and, you know, and uh, getting in trouble, getting arrested. You know, don't turn to that life. Instead, funnel, funnel that anger into something positive to make yourself a better man, a better man than whoever this is that's doing this stuff to you, alright, uh, you know maybe, like I said, maybe you didn't get the family you deserve, but you can become 
the kind of man that attracts and creates the future family that he deserves. And you can so do that. But, you know, like attracts like, you've got to build yourself up. You know, build yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, you know, uh, spiritually. you got to build yourself up and become that high-quality person that attracts other high-quality people into your life so you can become that person. Now, going back real quick, I remember um, Isaiah's story when I was coaching high school wrestling, which I did for many years. And, you know, I saw one of my wrestlers, you know, his father was always on his case, right? I kind of felt bad for him. And um, one day he comes into practice, he's got this uh, black nail polish all over his fingernails. And this is years back when kids didn't do it except for, like, let's say maybe those gothic kids. And this young African-American boy was definitely not one of those gothic kids. Uh, so I was like, hey, uh, AJ, what's, what's going on with the black nail polish on your fingernails? You know, no judgment, just, just asking him. And he goes, coach, it's because I'm an angry young black man. And I was like, hi, hi, uh, AJ, we could do something with that. I said, that's okay to be angry. You know, there's nothing wrong with being angry, especially when life has dealt you, let's say, maybe an unfair hand. There's nothing wrong with being angry. I said, well, we need to funnel that anger, that white hot energy that you got inside of you. We need to funnel that into something positive. You know, and for him at that moment, you know, it was wrestling. And, uh, you know, Randy Blake, you might enjoy this. Uh, it was also martial arts. You know, he did judo on the side, and uh, he wrestled with me and did judo on the side, and he became one heck of a wrestler, one heck of a judo uh, uh, guy, and um, went off to the Marines to build himself up that way and had a, had a very positive life. Now, he was a young, angry man, you know, living under, uh, I, I don't know what, you know, if his dad was getting physical with him or not. I don't know that. But I do know his dad was always on his case, and at least minimally emotionally. <laughs> beating them up every day. You know, no, it, it's not right. I mean, kids are vulnerable. Kids are some of our most vulnerable population. And frequently, frequently they're being bullied by the kids or bullied by, you know, maybe family members or, or being emotionally damaged or physically damaged by uh, family members. And I, I, I say, you know, hang in there. Hang in there and build yourself up. And eventually you will get out of that mess like I did. And you will become something you can become that you can be proud of, and you will again, once again, attract the future family that you deserve. Now, I've got a wonderful wife, five wonderful kids, um, <laughs> wonderful dog. I, I I pinch myself sometimes. I can't believe I'm living this life when I think about where I came from, Isaiah. Wow, what you said was so powerful, and it was so important. Let me open up the panel. Let me open up the panel with this question. Well, two questions, actually. Based off what you just heard about bullying, because now we, we're kind of shifting into bullying because it needs to be talked about. What are your biggest concerns? What are your biggest worries? What are the biggest challenges that you have with those areas Based off of where this conversation, where this def this discussion is going tonight, who wants to go first? The panel is open. Well, I think uh, I think I'll jump in on that right quick, Isaiah. The biggest thing that we see in uh, society today when it comes to bullying is the divisive nature of one side versus another, and when someone's being bullied, 
instead of a third party bystander stopping the bullying, the crowd tends to take sides. And it's a it depends on, you know, herd mentality and and wanting to get involved, but not wanting to stand up to someone that may be someone who may hurt you. There's this mentality that, well, if I befriend the bully, then I'm not going to become his target. And on the other side, well, that's one of my friends or that's someone from my silo. I don't want him to be bullied. So then now you have this two-sided dynamic where people are engaged at a very harsh level and it escalates. Everybody walks up that invisible staircase to the top uh, and then there's no doors, no exits. And the only way you can get down is to fall off the top. So it's a no-win scenario when you allow bullying to manifest into group mentality. So that's the one thing that I've seen over and over and over again. When I talk to teachers here in our part of the country, they're like, there's, it's almost like, unless you can divert attention and focus away from locking onto a target, it's almost impossible to stop the bullies because of the dynamic that has been mentioned already. They're being bullied at home. They think it's a normalized behavior. So they bring it, to the streets, they bring it to the schools, and they know even if they get into trouble when they go home, they may get a pat on the back instead of being punished, and that's a problem. That's good. Who's next? You know, I could jump in. Sam Blanchard here. I could jump in. Something we haven't talked about tonight yet uh, that that is a problem. Um, we've been talking about a lot of the boys bullying, you know, physical um, intimidation, physical pain and all that. But I see girls uh, bullying at the high schools that I work at. I see girls bullying girls, and they're much more subtle and discreet about how they do it. They hide it from the teachers way better. It's usually, you know, on their phones. They'd be sending little teeny messages to another girl in the back of the classroom or whatever, the other side of the classroom. Um, you know, maybe it might be another classroom, but sometimes, I mean, they could be doing it right in the same classroom, right in front of the teacher and being really discreet and the teacher doesn't even see it or notice what's going on. It's very different, you know, when two boys, you know, are staring each other down or maybe getting in each other's space, uh, you know, trying to be like intimidating and physical. That's, that's very different. You know, a teacher obviously can see that, can, can step in between that, try to stop that before it really gets going. But you get these girls, they, they slyly send these little messages, and there's almost no way to nip it in the bud uh, because every single kid has a cell phone. Uh, it's almost impossible to take the cell phones away from them. The schools have practically given up on trying to... Uh, take the cell phones away from them. They've got very, very weak cell phone policies that are ineffective at best, and it's almost impossible to nip the female sly little text messaging, uh, bullying messages that they're sending to other girls all over the school. You know, uh, it, it could even be in the same classroom, right under the teacher's Very difficult to detect it. Very difficult to nip the squad. Very difficult to stop that. And I think it's a it's a real concern that we need to do something about, but it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of answers out there right now. And so after the problem escalates 
so bad that you got two girls charging at each other in the hallway. And then it's like, oh, what's going on here? And then you find the backstory, and it's like, wow. You know, look at these nasty, nasty messages that they've been sending each other for like the last hour or two hours or day or two days, whatever it may be. So um, I, I don't really know exactly what the answers are going to be to that um, outside of just taking the kids' phones and not letting them have their phones. Uh, you know, and that's going to take a lot of backbone from the schools who really aren't being supported by the parents to do that. So uh, it's, it, we have a real problem there. Well, I'm, I'm hearing that's really good. I'm hearing so much expertise from from you and Buddy. Yeah. Uh, who who's next? Who's next? I like to chime in on that. That is so awesome. Bullying is just uh, what he said. I totally believe in. Some people feel like it's old school, but uh, as you see what Deion Sanders is doing with the kids in Jackson State, he takes the cell phones. You know, and a lot of people are upset about that, but it's business. You gotta understand this is a business and um, if you're gonna be winning and you're gonna build champions, uh, my friend just wrote a new book, Are We Make Are We Building Um Monsters or Are We Making Champions? And it's a real good book. I just started reading it. Uh, Travis Warden, a good friend of mine. And it's the truth and I listened to Randy Blake, I listened to uh, Coach Buddy and they made some good uh, things. Bullying has been around so long. Pretty much my book, Ordinary Day, is um, about bullying in a sense. And it's about a lot of things that I didn't even know. I was just following, uh, I think, obedience from God to write it. I really didn't want to write it. I wanted to write a book about leadership with passion and um, purpose in it. And so this is my theory that God gave me. It is a book about leadership because <laughs> you're talking about a leader who basically bullied people and did things his own way and got out of order. And you could be a good person, but you can get offline. And so it happens to the kids each day. And uh, my story is similar. And I like to talk about this real quick. Kind of like uh, when I was raised up, my grandmother raised me up. I was a tenth child. We were poor neighborhood, real poor. Most of the people were money and cloud came from my area. And supposedly uh, they stayed in my grandmother's house for a month. She named me James Clyde. I literally woke up thinking about robbing banks. I literally grew up thinking about Robert Banks. I said on Saturdays when our kids would watch cartoons, and in my 50s, I wanted to watch uh, bank robbery, uh, westerns, and things like that. That's what I finished with. That was my favorite, you know. And so that's the kind of stuff I wanted to do. And that mindset didn't change until I was about 14. Uh, but um, I had my grandmother to speak life of me. She said, James, you're a king. And so I would hear that. And then... Um, my dad they had moved to Dallas, Texas from a little place where they make Brenham, Texas, where they make Blue ice cream. And he got in the game. So he moved here and hopes to be better. Dad married my mom. My brother is like the uh, biggest gangster ever to be in Dallas. He's been in Chicago red. He's been arrested like 167 times. And uh, he's a multi-millionaire. So it's all around me. And my grandmother is basically, I guess, protecting me. So I'm thinking I'm a king. So I go to school. My dad has stopped being tough. He worked before. Then he started his own business, doing mechanics. He had a mechanic shop in the back of his house. And I'm in the first grade. I never forget this. A lot of our teachers are bullies, believe it or not, unfortunately. And she happens to be a Caucasian lady. And I know Caucasians are not bad, just like blacks or Hispanics or anyone else is bad. Uh, she looks at me. And when my grandmother said, James, you're king, I thought, oh, I'm going to be the president. First thing came to my mind, I'm going to be the president. 
And she said, you will not be the president if your dad is not a doctor or lawyer. I'm like, wow, my grandmother said my dad is a mechanic. Now, I'm in first grade. I don't know what a mechanic is, okay? And then she went on to allude and to say, if your dad is a shade tree mechanic, you will not be president. She looked directly at me, but I didn't know what a mechanic was. I sure didn't know what a shade tree, but I knew it was bad. So I thought I won't be uh, president, and, you know, when I started letting that go. To me, that's a form of bullying, and we have to be careful. People in leadership position that bully people. I like, I heard the coach, how he was talking to uh, the guy. He said, I, right. that tells me he's really thick in. That's street talk. I know street talk. I'm from the streets. So I spent the rest of my life getting down the streets. My grandmother died. and felt like my best buddy died. I was mad at the world, and uh, I just was upset. I wanted to fight, so I started fighting every day, doing everything, being rebellious. I mean, doing everything wrong I could do. And my dad told me, my brother's a dark-skinned guy. He said, James, they're going to treat you different. They're going to treat you better than your brother. And I thought, he's an old man. He don't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know. But I saw some truths in there. When I saw that, I started just fighting, just being angry, selling drugs. And I probably fought about two or three hundred people. I fought everybody. My last name is Turkmen, so during Thanksgiving, this was the worst time. I fight more people because they call me Turkey Turkmen. Anyway, that was my common day things, fighting. And then it wasn't until I wind up off. And I could play any sports, but I, I wouldn't stay. They told me I could go all uh, district and track when I left the team. I wouldn't stay in football, basketball. Nothing. I wouldn't stay, so I wind up. I, I wind up going to the army. And it was really God had me go to the army. I'll be honest, because I was really on my way out. I had been kicked out of school so many times. I don't know. And the army happened to be a savior for me. And I went there, and when I left Dallas, I really started to prosper. I became a soldier sergeant, and I became a junior Olympic um, gold medal boxing track uh, football, you know, um, champion basketball, volleyball, just any kind of ball I could play. And I really started to learn things in the Army, so I felt late to come back to my home and become a leader, and uh, I thought it would be too much of an office, but I started that ministry first, and so I started out on the streets and in schools, and I still go to schools and streets, and right now I'm currently, uh, 2023, running for mayor of the city of Dallas, and I'm getting ready to close. It's a lot of bullying in politics. I've been bullied tremendously in politics where they have uh, basically cased me down, did everything. I mean, went against my business and took code enforcement tickets, uh, gave me all kind of tickets, over eight, 9,000 in tickets, over eight, 9,000 in my business. Just a lot of things. And former city council would say, Turkey, we just don't think you need to be in the seat. That's too much power. We don't know enough about you. It's too much money for you to be in the seat. And be over, and so I mean they would attack me, and I I I really got to the point like I wasn't gonna run because I've been attacked. I had, and I'm just telling you the small things that they done to me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> they did a lot to me, and I thought, man, I'm just tired of these attacks. You know, these people attacking me just for a seat that don't pay very much money. So then um, I um, just paid off uh, the last thousand dollars off of a ticket. And I tell you, it was just a setup, just one attack after another. Uh, and I thought about a while back, ah, not going to run. And, and the dog came to me, I know it's God. Well, who are you running for? I'm like, well, I'm not running for me. Well, who are you running for? I'm running for the people. The thought came, shut up. 
you got to do it. You called to do this. You called to help the people. So, bullying is boys big. It's out there. It's with the kids. I love. I told God if you just give me all of it, I just go into high schools and we go into schools and talk to kids every week, you know. But bullying is just a out of control. I was bullied, and I never forget. I was bullied by some kids. My aunt came up to the school and she pulled a gun out. She said, "Oh, y'all not gonna fight him, but one of you can fight him." And boy, I appreciated that. And they kind of started me to fight me. <laughs> but bullying nowadays is different than it used to be then. But bullying is out of control, and we do need to share and get in control. Thank you. I, I want to say so much, but I don't have time. I want to talk about how we met. I don't have time. I can't be selfish. It would feel good, but I can't do it. Let me go to Randy Blake. Boom, boom. As a result of what you've heard and in the training that you have right because you are you know you got experts out there but then you have masters okay I believe a master is higher than someone that's specialized okay and someone that's an expert I believe a master is higher than expert. I think master is the apex of a skill. When you've mastered that skill, I believe that you're above expert when you truly master it. Okay. Randy Black, boom, boom. Would you be the person you are today if you had never been bullied? That's my question. Mm, absolutely not. There's there's no way I'd be the man that I am today. Now, for granted, it doesn't mean that I would have been worse, but who I am today and everything that I'm doing today reflects off my past, my struggle, my L's. And when I say L's, a lot of people look at that as, oh, that's, that's a loss, that's a loss. Well, I like to kind of reconstruct the brain a little bit. I don't believe in losses. They're all learns. There's only a loss if you didn't learn from that. So, you know, there, there's, you know, we, we've all got stories. I think everybody's story is positive and powerful and nobody just, one up in the other because we all have our own errors and times. But for me, you know, those, those trials that I went through, yeah, it, it shaped me into the, the man that I am today. And I think it's important that, you know, I felt like energy kind of drove us into this podcast episode tonight to, to tell our stories, to help inspire other people. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, led me to be somebody who I didn't think that I would become. Uh, if, if you would have asked that six-year-old boy, you know, do you think you'd be a five-time world champion, a, a author, uh, award-winning author, best-selling author, uh, a life coach, and inspiring people, and, and traveled all across the world and been to Japan and met Chuck Norris, he would tell you, no, probably not. So, yeah, to answer your question, no, I don't think I would have been the man that I am today had I not gone through those those trials and tribulations. 
Let, let me ask you another question. Back because, to you. No, no, I'm about, no, it's about to be back to you because I'm going to ask you. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm about okay, to go, go real ahead. deep with this because when I met you okay. in person, I, you know, I was, okay. check, I was checking you out. Uh-huh. I was checking you out, man. Uh-huh. I was looking at your mannerisms. And I said, here's a young man mm-hmm. that's hungry. But I never asked you why you so motivated. What inspires you mm-hmm. until now? Mm-hmm. I'm asking you that question. Why are you so motivated? What inspires you? Mm-hmm. Well, so as a martial artist, everyone's goal, and let me just kind of go back and explain what the belt system means. From white belt to black belt. That simply means you got your gold belt, your orange, green, blue, purple, brown. Those are all goals. That's all that means. The, the, the two most important belts are white belt, and when you become a white belt, oh, I want to be a black belt. But you know, in a week, you're not going to get a black belt. You know, in a month, you're not going to get a black belt. You know, probably in three or four years, you're not going to get a black belt. So what they've done was they've created a system of short-term goals, right? And so, you know, maybe in a month or two, if I'm qualified and I do what I'm supposed to do, I'll get my gold belt. And then they get it a little bit longer for each belt. Well, thing is, when you get the black belt, well, what's next? Okay, you got second degree, third degree. So that's kind of how my life has been, right? So I've achieved up to fifth degree black belt. I'm considered a master now. I've been in martial arts for 30 years. Uh, I've achieved world titles. I've, I've, I've got over 52 wins, right? I've got 35 knockouts. I've, I've, I've done it all. So to answer your question, why am I still hungry? Or what makes me hungry? Well, it's having a daughter. That gives you a whole new perspective. And that's how really this stage of my life has even propelled to where it's at. Because, you know, like gentleman was saying, you know, you got all these people getting on, on Facebook and just social media, writing uh, nasty things about people. Well, I can still tell you guys, don't think that just because I'm a world champion that people aren't still saying mean and hurtful things about me. Just in 2020, when we were all literally shut down, I had nothing to do, right? So I'm, my gym is shut down. I'm not working. I decided... After I've been Netflix and chilled and done all that stuff and watched all every movie you can think of, I said, you know what? I'm going to look myself up. And I looked myself up. I watched videos. I, I was looking up articles. And I found out all kind of inaccuracies that still to this day, you can go look that stuff up. Everything from I'm 4 foot 11, which I'm 6'3, I'm 4 foot 11. I wear a size 25 shoe. I got 15 wives, you know. I don't know who mom and daddy is. Five days later, I found out I was going to be a dad. And that's when it changed my life. That's when I got re-motivated. Because I knew in a couple of years, because my daughter is 20, she should be 21 months old, here coming on the third. But eventually she's going to know how to use the internet. Like there's, there is no ifs, ands, or buts. I can't like we just talk about it. I can't hide the internet from her I could control it a little bit but she's going to see those videos she's going to see those articles and mean things they're writing about daddy and so how do you explain that to a child you can't and, and, and you, you know what and she's going to she take up for you because she, she know who you are she's crazy right. about you uh, look I saw right. her I met her uh, you know, she not you know she not taking right. that but go ahead <laughs> 
Right, right. But, you know, in, in, in the same sense, um, the internet does kind of win because it's like, well, daddy, this is the internet, you know. So that's why I decided I'm going to sit down and write the book so my daughter knows the truth. And that actually propelled into something I hadn't even dreamed of, of uh, this whole ordeal uh formulated into it's um, I'm able to be a life coach I'm, I'm doing speaking seminars I'm speaking at colleges uh, I'm, I'll be doing a TEDx talk uh, at the beginning of the year um, I'm going to prison I'm, I'm going to go and doing Nike stuff the American Express I guess it's opened up so many opportunities but it all stems from you know my daughter so yeah that's that's kind of how that all stemmed out you know, it's nothing we can do when someone places a target on our back. It's, it's, I think it tells us, no, I know it tells us, it gives us a sign that you're, you're important. You're important enough for people to be talking about you. It's like 8 billion people on this planet. 8 billion. How many zeros is that? And they're talking about you? Let me go to Buddy Thornton. And the reason why I want to go to him because he is a certified positive social change agent. He calls himself Positive Social Change Agent Pro. Buddy, I, I, I got so many questions for you. You're always on this podcast for some reason. <laughs> you're, always, you're always on this podcast. We have made you a chair a director's chair with your name on it and we got you a director's cap uh, we gotta make sure it fits and we got your, your glasses your sun your sunglasses anyway so <laughs> how you doing what you been up to Curly Buddy Thornton what's going on talk about it well <clears throat> later this month we're gonna be launching uh, my second book on contemporary morals and uh, of course my books three and four are international bestsellers and their parenting uh uh, books in a way, but they're really child development and human development books. And I'm, uh, I've been talking to Randy uh, uh, about coming and doing some speaking in both Dallas and in Phoenix, where I live. And uh, so, you know, this is a very small group, very, very small world. And, uh, you know, you have to look at the bright lights and you have to take that and you have to run with it. And that's kind of where I'm at in my life. I, uh, as you well know, I live in a multi-generational family. There's four generations in my household, and I have 10 grandchildren and 10 great-grandchildren who live within 30 minutes of my house. And, you know, it's a constant in and out. And when I met Randy in Vegas in July, it just affirmed 40 years of my life that, you know, he's at the starting point where I was four decades ago. He's looking at his daughter, and my oldest daughter is obviously my oldest child. And when you look at someone and you realize that their world and their life is in your hands, and all the perspectives and all the things that you're going to be able to do for them has to come out of you, you become a man. You become a man pretty quick. Um, I think, you know, that's that's what I'm doing right now. And uh, we'll, we'll go into whatever you're going to ask me, and then I'm going right. to give you a little bit of a bullying story that will tie into why I'm a coach. Okay, okay, good, good, good. 
well, let me go this. Let me let me go here because I'm I'm a, I'm about to pull on you. Okay, I'm about to pull on you like I'm thirsty for water and I've been in the desert. That's how I'm going to pull on you because I want you to talk about relationships. I want you to talk about what people need. I want you to talk about the risk factors. I want you to expand the way we think. I want you to expand our mindsets, our conceptualizations in a way that's going to help us internalize what support systems are, what they mean, and how to partner with the right support systems. My question for you is, how do you manage bullying without placing a target on that bullying child's back? What I mean is the aggressor. The bully herself or himself, that's that aggressor. How do you manage that behavior without placing a bullet, I'm sorry, a target on their back that could potentially follow them the rest of their life? That's my question for you, Buddy Thornton, Positive Social Change Agent Pro. Focus of control and understand how it feels to be good instead of being a bully. There's no reason to be a bully. But once you get that cost so high that you can get them to start listening to you, then you have to look at what we call social stigma bullying. And then you can dig into their backstory and you can find out if it's socially devaluation, if it's family devaluation. You know, you drop down from the widest range or broad from Brenner all the way down to the individual and you get it right down in their soul. You get it in their soul and you make sure they understand that you don't have to be a bully. There are choices you can make. And when you make those choices, everyone's going to know it because there's going to be no reason and no way for you to find a place where you can hide. This is what happened to me when I was a child. I wasn't overtly bullied, but my father was a, a man of that era. I was fairly small as a child, and I was running home one day because some kids were chasing me. I was a class nerd. I was the smart kid, you know, and some kids were chasing me home. What I didn't know is my dad was home for lunch. And when I came busting through the door into the living room, he took one look at me and said, no kid of mine is going to run from anybody. And he took me by the shoulder and he threw me back out in the front yard. What choice did I have? I had to stand up for myself or just get pummeled. So, well, I stood up for myself as well as I could, but I still got pummeled. I mean, I got pummeled pretty bad. So, Let's twist that around a little bit. There's a little bit of psychological bullying there. My dad's like, you're not going to be a chicken. You're not going to run from people. You're, you're not going to, that's just going to encourage more bullying. Okay. But then he turned around that night and he took me to the club meeting at the Optimist Club and took me around bruises on my face and all and said, I'm so proud of my son. He stood up to some bullies today. I didn't stand up to those bullies. He made me stand up to those bullies. So not only did he bully me once, 
he took me and he shamed me in front of other people, other adults in a very small town in Texas. So when I got married and I started having kids, I made an oath that I was never going to place my child in that situation. And now I have all these great grandchildren. When I finished my sports career, I decided I was going to become a mediator. I was going to help people with conflict. And then I pivoted into coaching and then parent coaching because I saw my dad in all these people. I see my dad in all these people still today. Now, long ago, my dad apologized to me. We've, we've come to very, very great terms. I love my father dearly. But at the end of the day, those experiences as a child and being psychologically and mentally pushed into boxes that I could not control made me the man I am today. And I refuse to allow other people to be trapped in those boxes. And so when you ask me, how do you get people out of those boxes? Expose what's inside of them to them, not to other people. Get them to look inside, get them to be self-aware, get them to understand that there is a different and a better way and then be willing to empathize with them and take the journey with them. I guarantee if a kid came to Randy's school and he had some kind of a chip on his shoulder, well, Randy might help him knock that chip off his shoulder, but he would also turn him into a man. And he would do it in a way that when you're inside the lines, you compete, you compete as hard as you can. When you're outside the lines, you treat every person that you know like that 20-month-old daughter Randy has. That's how you handle taking the target off of bullies. Okay, listen, that was so rich. I need to unpack this. I need to open up the panel. I need to open up the panel with this question. What are your takeaways from what has been said thus far from Buddy Thornton, from Randy Blake, and from Daniel last year? What's your takeaways? Well, this Dan Blanchard here, I can speak up. Um, our last speaker, uh, Buddy Thornton, he said a lot of powerful things. But, I mean, in a nutshell, you know, in a nutshell, it, it, it does come up to not brushing it under the rug. You have to face the situation. And then you have to help that kid become a better version of themselves. You know, uh, bullies, bullies are hurting. You know, they, they, that's why they bully because they're hurting. So there's something that's lacking, something that, that is deficient, something that is wrong in their lives. So you help them become a better version of themselves. And you're gonna start building a little bit of self-esteem for them. Um, you know, you're holding them accountable. You're not looking the other way. You're not sweeping it under the rug. What they're doing is wrong and they should know that it's wrong. But you, uh, I liked how Buddy said, you kind of like, you know, take that journey with them. You walk them through. You know, the, the journey, the process of becoming a better version of themselves, you know, maybe even a leader. And remember what I said earlier in this uh, today's uh, podcast is that, you know, leaders, they, they have no feelings to um, the bully. They, they never even think about bullying because they're confident in who they are and what they do. I, I am so thrilled to have been on the podcast with these people. Uh I, I absolutely, of course, love Randy Blake and the connection he has with his daughter and his family. Uh, I'm, I'm getting to know a little more about Dan Blanchard 
And uh, I think that, uh, you know, people with like-minded missions in life should stand together either on the same stage or on the same platform every chance they get. The voices of reason can overcome their voices of division if we just make ourselves loud enough. Real, real quick, the title, Inspiring Others with Your Personal Stories, um, that freaking hits the nail on the head. Every one of us have personal stories that others can learn from, uh, and vice versa. You know what I'm saying? They have personal stories that we can learn from that can inspire us and we can inspire them. So I, I like what was said earlier about the, uh, the the police and the youth getting to know each other, getting to know each other's stories and working together. Uh, you know, that's just one facet of many, many, many facets uh, within our community, within our societies, within our schools, obviously, where uh, we can all inspire and be inspired by personal stories. So uh, I think this was this uh, podcast was well named tonight, Isaiah. Thank you. And we thank you. Who's next? Who's next? Uh, yeah, I'll jump in. No, it's, it's been a, a pleasure to be on this podcast with each and every one of you. Um, and I, I love the fact that we all are working to make the world a better place. And with that being said, um, you guys are all world champions, too. I don't know if you knew that. These world champions are trying to make the world a better place. And for everyone listening on this podcast, it takes a team. There is no I, there is no me, there is no one. It's going to take a village, it's going to take a team. If you break that acronym down, together, everybody achieves more. And so that's what I stand for. United, we stand about it, we fall. And I look forward to what's to come in the future.